0: Before we dive into this episode of HRD Masterclass, I'd like to take 30 seconds to share the exciting news that we're now seeking sponsors for Season 5 to release in 2024. This is a wonderful opportunity to support the podcast series and also share your message with 3,500 HRD listeners around the world. Sponsorship options cost just $750 and $600 per episode, And for full details, contact D-A-R-R-E-N at allbypodcast.com. Right, let's start the episode. Welcome to Human Resource Development Masterclass, the podcast series from the Academy of Human Resource Development, the organization that leads HRD through research. I'm your host, Darren Short, and throughout these first two seasons I've been joined by leading authors, researchers, and scholars to explore different aspects of HRD and how HRD works here in the 2020s. Now that we've reached the final episode of the second season, I'm taking the opportunity to look back on our past episodes, reflect on what I've learned, and surface the questions and challenges that I now carry with me as a result of the experience of hosting the podcast. Across the first two seasons, I've had the honour and joy of being in 69 recorded conversations with 49 scholars from around the world. Together, we've explored a wide range of topics, and in doing so, have captured a lot about what the world of HRD looks like right now, how HRD has changed and is currently changing, where HRD could be heading, and the challenges it faces. As I listen back to those conversations, I find myself reflecting on what this all means for HRD professionals, the work they do, the knowledge and skills they need to be successful and the changes they're navigating to stay relevant and add value. I've therefore chosen that as my focus for this final wrap-up episode here in Season 2. Over the next hour, I'll share my reflections on what this all means for HRD professionals their work, and development, and I'll support my reflections with extracts taken from some of the conversations held here in Season 2. At the end of the episode, I'll also spotlight a few of the conversations that I find myself revisiting over and over again. This episode is brought to you thanks to the generous support of two episode sponsors. By Interpretive Simulations, find out about their services at interpretive.com, and by Stylus Publishing, publisher of the Handbook of Adult and Continuing Education 2020, you can visit them at styluspub.com. Right, let's dive into the episode. HRD is an applied discipline. A lot of research and writing happens on the subject of HRD. And what really matters is how that research and writing goes on to influence HRD practice. It's therefore hardly surprising, then, that the HRD Masterclass podcast has touched on multiple different aspects of the work of HRD professionals. Here in this episode, my intention isn't to provide an all-encompassing look at HRD professionals. It simply wouldn't be possible to do that in an hour of a single episode. Instead, I'm going to focus on what I've learned about the world of HRD professionals as a result of my conversations. To do that, I've re-listened to all of those conversations and identified what strikes me as the core messages about the role and development of HRD professionals. I've then clustered those under the seven headings that I'll use to structure the episode. The seven are... What I've learned about the nature of HRD work and how that's changing. What I've learned about the challenges for HRD professionals of staying relevant in a changing workplace. What I've learned about the opportunities for HRD professionals to find their voice and enable the voices of others. What I've learned about the challenge for HRD professionals of improving HRD so as to increase and demonstrate impact what I've learned about the importance of HRD professionals partnering with others, what I've learned about what this all means for the knowledge, skills and qualities of HRD professionals, and finally, what sticks with me, specifically, what were the extracts of conversations that I find myself revisiting over and over again. I'll take each of these in turn, starting with what I've learned about the nature of HRD work and how that's changing. Throughout, I'll refer back to the conversations from the first two seasons by sharing some of the names of guests who covered these topics. If you want to then hear more from those guests, you can find their episode and listen to the full conversation. Okay, let's now look at each of those seven headings. This section is brought to you thanks to the generous support of our sponsor, Interpretive Simulations. Since 2008, students and trainees have used Interpretive Simulations HR Management Simulation, where participants are tasked to make challenging decisions at the HR Director level in a simulated environment. Students must build a strong HR function at their simulated, medium-sized organization and wrestle with the challenges of staying on budget. The simulation makes the connection between concept and practice while students learn by doing. It comes with assignments, mini cases and quizzes to reinforce core HR principles. If you'd like to receive faculty access to review the HR management simulation, visit them at interpretive.com and fill out a demo request. Okay, let's start by looking at what I've learned about the nature of HRD work and how that's changing. I'll start off this section like I will with each section with an extract from one of the conversations from the series. Here's Liz Bennett with an extract from season two, episode three on technology in HRD.
1: Where we are in history is really in an industrial revolution, uh, which has started, you know, a number of years ago. And it's picking up speed. So it's often called fourth industrial revolution, uh, second information age, second machine age. Uh, And it's really this rapid revolution of technology, which is completely reshaping the workplace. What we see with uh, the pandemic that happened in the past year and a half that we've been grappling with uh, using technology to overcome the health uh, issues from the pandemic that we've seen that revolution accelerates with remote work and just having to completely rethink business processes. So, that brings in digital transformation, where it's not just adding a technology or doing something slightly differently. It's really an intentional approach to change business processes with the help of technology and really um, focus on reimagining the work world so that customer needs are met, their wants and desires are met, Uh, that employee satisfaction and, uh, you know, using technology to the best advantage.
0: This year is my 30th anniversary of starting work in HRD. Back when I began in 1992, the HRD world I experienced appeared to me to be very much focused on in-person training courses, that employees mostly found via annual prospectuses or catalogues. And it was before e-learning or virtual learning, before the availability of online self-help videos and websites, before intranets made it easy to search for expertise within organisations. It was a time when HRD often measured success in terms of the numbers of courses and the numbers of employees trained. It was a time when many HRD professionals were essentially a Jill or Jack of all trades, doing everything from needs analysis through instructional design and development, through to training delivery and facilitation. Much has changed since then, and the first two seasons of the Masterclass have shone a spotlight on those changes. We heard about examples of HRD work happening in different settings, like at the national or societal level described by Gary McLean, or working within large organisations or in small and medium enterprises, as we heard about from Kieran Nolan, Michael Mustafa, and Heather Short. Within those different settings, HRD professionals can be internal to an organisation, as employees, or operating as external consultants. HRD professionals can be working at different levels, focusing on individual employees, teams, Whole organizations, processes, and systems. As they do that, HRD professionals find themselves focused on a wide range of initiatives, such as leadership development, as we heard about from Valerie Stead and Susan Madsen, employee engagement, as described by Brad Shuck, Kim Nyman, and Jay Young Lee, developmental relationships like coaching or mentoring, as we heard about from Andrea Ellinger and Jenny Jones, upskilling or reskilling problem-solving, as we heard about from Cheryl Brooke and Michael Marquart, and so much more. To round out the picture a little more, all of this HRD work is happening within the context of culture, and so is impacted by national culture as well as organisational cultures. And we heard about the importance of this, as well as the challenges from Ahad Osman Ghani and Rosia Mohammed Rusty, Michael Marquart, and Katie Bailey. we combine the different elements of HRD work into a single picture, it shows how that work is both broad and deep. Broad in as much as there's a wide range of different work happening under the umbrella term of HRD. And deep because each aspect of that work has its own specialist knowledge, processes, models, tools, frameworks, practices, and as a result, HRD work is much richer and more complex than it was when I started and has evolved beyond structured curricula, in-person classroom training and a focus on formal learning to embrace technology, new projects and new partnerships. This breadth and depth brings with it a series of opportunities and challenges for HRD professionals And across the two seasons, some of those opportunities and challenges were highlighted more than others. They included staying relevant in a changing workplace, finding HRD's voice and enabling the voices of others, improving HRD to increase and demonstrate impact, and partnering with others. So let's now look at each of those starting with what I've learned about the challenge for HRD professionals of staying relevant in a changing workplace. And let's begin with an extract from my conversation with Dr. Masood Akdir, which appeared in Season 2, Episode 3, when we explored technology in HRD.
2: It is time for HRD to begin discussions around creating the HRD analytics concept which would encompass all three traditional HRD functions and explore synergies among these areas. HRD's strength will continue to be its focus on the human aspect of the organization. And we will need to better understand how our current theories and approaches to HRD practice apply to this new organizational norm driven by rapid technological advances. From an HRD perspective, most of these technological innovations are spearheaded by non-HRD professionals who are primarily engineers or technologists. Naturally, they lack knowledge and skills and abilities of HRD professionals in order to successfully implement and utilize these technologies for HRD purposes. Can you imagine an HRD student graduating without having a basic understanding of immersive training platforms or data analytics. How can this person be prepared to lead HRD programs and activities in today's organizations in which human technology interface is rampant?
0: I like how Masut spotlights how HRD professionals need to understand technology and data in order to stay relevant in a workplace that's changing. As we heard from Kamal Candlewall and Liz Bennett in the same episode, Digital transformation is revolutionising the workplace. And even before the COVID pandemic, technology was having an increasing impact on HRD. Then, as we heard about from multiple guests in both seasons, the rate of change facilitated by technology has increased over the last two years as more employees work remotely and organisations explore ways of balancing office and virtual work all of which challenges HRD in terms of how and where employees learn, as Malika Shimohamedi and Sangwon Yoon described back in Season 1, through to the impact on meaningful work, as we heard about from Katie Bailey and Sangyeon Park. For example, there was a time when onboarding would be in-person and training was delivered by HRD instructors in-person and employees were coached in-person. And a shift to remote work challenges HRD to design new virtual ways of learning that are just as impactful. And we're seeing more virtual and remote solutions, such as virtual coaching and e-mentoring, as we heard about from Andrea Ellinger and Jenny Jones. As a simplified way of thinking about this, it's possible to view these changes as transitions between eras, starting with an era of exclusively in-person training. Shifting to an era where in person and e learning coexisted as almost separate but connected entities, to an era where HRD blended in person and technological solutions. Listening to the first two seasons of the masterclass made me wonder whether we're now seeing a transition to a new era, one where HRD increasingly leverages big data, machine learning, augmented reality artificial intelligence and virtual reality and a blending of those into high-impact, personalized, adaptive HRD solutions. In their episode on technology in HRD, Masut Akdir, Kamal Kandelwal and Liz Bennett explored this in depth, highlighting the potentials and also the challenges. Such advances offer enormous potential as HRD creates artificial virtual environments for employees to learn and integrates those with work in a way where there's much less divide between work and learning. And so the integration of learning into work becomes so advanced that employees no longer differentiate between when they're learning and when they're working which is a stark contrast from the era when learning meant leaving their work to take a course in a training room, probably well away from where work happened. But HRD has a bit of a reputation for swinging the pendulum too far, too fast, towards new shiny objects. And we saw that back when e-learning emerged, and suddenly HRD was creating e-learning solutions for everything and that pendulum eventually swung back to generate more blended solutions. It will therefore be interesting to see whether we do the same with these new technologies. Regardless of the pace of change, three messages come through clearly from the Masterclass episodes. The first is that HRD professionals need the knowledge and skills to understand and apply technology, and to work with technologists who are deep in these technologies. Without those, HRD professionals will increasingly be sidelined, and as Masoot Akdia warned, we'll find learning run by IT and not by HRD. The second is that learning and learners are changing. As we explored with Sung Guan Yoon, employees are increasingly seeking shorter, more targeted learning solutions that are just in time and are taking control of their own learning as they bypass formal HRD departments and processes. In the era when people are used to googling answers and watching YouTube videos for instant solutions to problems, there's much less patience for an HRD function that takes weeks or months to roll out solutions. Lastly, as we heard from Liz Bennett, a lot of jobs are being redefined and, in many cases, going away completely, which challenges HRD on how those impacted can be reskilled to remain employed in a workplace that is increasingly automated. When I put all of this together, I see a clear challenge to HRD. For HRD professionals to stay relevant in the workplace, they need to understand and apply technology, be central to how organisations redefine careers as a result of technology, and embrace the changes being driven by learners and IT through technology. I don't see much to be gained from fighting these or from standing on the sidelines, and so HRD professionals need to be in the centre of this if they're going to stay relevant. If staying relevant in a changing workplace is the first of the opportunities and challenges highlighted by the first two seasons, The second is what I've learned about the opportunities for HRD professionals to find their voice and enable the voices of others. Let's begin this section with an extract from my conversation with Chaunda Scott, taken from Season 2, Episode 5, on marginalization and privilege.
3: Especially, you know, generally white people think sometimes that that everybody has the same opportunity, you know. So now that you know, there's no more slavery, and people are living next door to each other, going to the same schools, and so a common phrase that's always used, well, you know, they should just pull themselves up by the bootstraps, and but it's just it doesn't work the same way, you know. I think people are seeing it from their lens. But their lens doesn't have space for you to fit into that. You know, it's not the same for you. And even though there are some opportunities, there are more opportunities that are available for people of color today. Even though when when you get those opportunities, there's still, you know, like some challenges with marginalization. It's just not the same. It's not the same for everyone.
0: Issues of diversity and social justice surfaced regularly throughout the first two seasons. Most notably in the first season episodes on critical HRD and on diversity, equity and inclusion, and in the second season episodes on ethics, on marginalization and privilege, and on leadership development. In these episodes we explored the importance of HRD professionals understanding these issues, critically examining their organizations. Speaking up, creating spaces for others to speak up and learn, taking action and being prepared for all of this important work. The more I reflected on the potential for HRD being actively involved in social justice and diversity, the more obvious it becomes that HRD professionals are well placed to play central roles within organisations. As a starting point, it's critical for HRD professionals to understand these issues, including, as we heard about from Marilyn Bird, Joshua Collins and others, how lived experiences impact learning and performance. And as we heard about from Susan Madsen and Yonju Cho, about understanding how gender affects learning and ways of running development programs. And as we heard about from Marilyn Bird and Torrance Spartman, understanding issues of race and exclusion. That understanding is important for then taking action, and we've heard a lot of examples of what forms that action can take. Some of the examples focused on critical examination of what happens within organizations, such as identifying who has power, and how that power impacts access to learning and development, as we heard about from Tamika Greer, Valerie Stead, and Susan Madsen as well as looking for social inequities and injustices, as described by Laura Beamer, Carol Elliott and Tamika Greer. However, taking action needs to go beyond just understanding the issues and looking critically at the current state. We heard from several guests about the importance of HRD professionals speaking up in different ways. For example, from Claritha Hughes on being the voice for change on diversity from Kim Nyman on HRD being advocates for those who experience inequalities, and from Brad Shuck about HRD being the voice for those who don't feel valued or engaged. We also heard about how speaking up means creating spaces and environments for others to speak and to learn. Torrance Spartman spoke about HRD's role in creating the space and giving people the tools de Scott talked about making spaces for conversations on marginalization and privilege and also training on it. Julie Gedrow and Joshua Collins in the same episode talked about creating an environment where people can talk about lived experiences. And Valerie Stead spoke about creating an environment of trust where employees can raise uncomfortable truths and challenge bias in ways of working and behavior. Beyond creating spaces and environments, we also heard a range of examples of other actions that HRD professionals can take in organizations, such as from Claritha Hughes about influencing leaders to view diversity as an ethical issue, from Joshua Collins about bystander intervention and ally development in the workplace, and from Susan Madsen and Valerie Stead about programs that target specific audiences within an organization such as women's only leadership development. Behind all of these calls to action for HRD lies the question of whether HRD professionals are ready to take on this work. As Torrance Sparkman asked, are HRD professionals trained and educated to take this on? And what more can we be doing to prepare HRD professionals for this work and to give them the will, confidence and equipment? That question transitions me nicely into the next area I'd like to focus on in this episode, which is what I've learned about the challenge for HRD professionals of improving HRD so as to increase and demonstrate impact. Let's begin this section with an extract from my conversation with Fred Nafuko from Season 2, Episode 6 on Training Transfer.
4: The learning transfer refers to the trainees' ability to integrate the obtained knowledge, skills, and attitudes into their daily work as a strategy to improve their performance. According to Association of Talent Development, while organizations spend billions of dollars on training and education initiatives every year, however, there exists failure to optimally apply competencies learned in the workplace. Yes, training transfer is a problem because while organizations continually invest in training, but a gap exists between what is learned and the skills or knowledge transferred to the workplace. This gap is referred to as the transfer problem by learning and development scholar practitioners. In fact, empirical research estimates that between 52% and 92% of acquired learning is lost within a year following training. So this leads to failure to show returns on investment and therefore creates the training transfer problem.
0: HRD has traditionally struggled with demonstrating its impact on organisations. As Darlene Raseft and Jay described in their episode on evaluation, HRD's approach to evaluation is often atheoretical, separated from what we know from research and based on collecting vast quantities of data that often do little but demonstrate activity as opposed to impact. In a world of HRD practice that, as Richard Swanson and Linda Periton described, is often informed by the latest fads rather than by practices validated by research, We too often hear examples like the one shared by Ron Jacobs that employees report that training doesn't help them to learn their jobs, or the one from Thomas Garavan that there's very little evidence of a causal link between investment in HRD and organisational performance. And, as Richard Swanson said, much performance improvement happens without HRD involvement. Back in Season 1, Karen Watkins said that the real test of learning is whether it's applied. And as Wendy Rona and Fred Nafuko pointed out in the training transfer episode, HRD therefore has a problem when so little training actually transfers back to the job. This often leaves HRD falling back on a business case argument that investing in people is simply the right thing to do. So what have we learned from the first two seasons about how HRD can improve its practice, add value, make an impact and demonstrate it? Part of the answer lies with HRD broadening its approach to seek new ways of adding value in areas like action learning, employee engagement and meaningful work and part lies in HRD embracing areas of technology and data analytics to see better ways of impacting organisations. Whatever the focus of HRD's work, there are however two core issues at the heart of adding value and demonstrating impact. That of closing the HRD research to practice gap, and that of improving training transfer. Without these, HRD runs the risk of broadening its scope of work without actually changing behaviours. It requires that HRD's body of knowledge becomes more accessible, that HRD theory matches up with practice, that practitioners and researchers work more closely together, that academics are called into organisations more often, and that HRD interventions are then designed to increase the chances of transfer and that learning is timed for when people most need the learning. There's a lot more to solving this problem, and so I'm simply spotlighting a few of the actions that came out of the first two seasons that are needed to increase HRD impact within organizations. And I hope that this becomes more of a focus of attention in the coming years, as without that focus, HRD risks being sidelined as a nice-to-have activity within organizations rather than one that can truly drive change that delivers bottom-line results as well as benefits at each level of the organization. One of the often cited challenges faced by HRD is that of where it sits within the organization, that HRD functions are limited by being a part of HR, And so I'll use that challenge as a transition into my next focus area for the episode, which is what I've learned about the importance of HRD professionals partnering with others. Let's start by listening to an extract of my conversation with Julie Gedrow from Episode 2, Season 5, on marginalization and privilege.
3: DEI must be a harmonization of HRD and HRM. HRD cultivates conditions by which culture, practices, interactions, exchanges can improve. HRM must follow suit with people practices that reflect the organization's commitment to real change. This must be an explicitly identified facet of a company identity, And it requires a shift in those policies and practices and habits. And also, I suggest it requires a shift of the heart.
0: When I listen back at the episodes from Seasons 1 and 2, I find four main types of partnerships being referenced. Partnerships with HRM, partnerships with managers, partnerships with individual employees, and partnerships with externals. And so I'll look briefly at each of these in turn, starting with partnerships with HRM. In many organizations, HRD is part of a wider HR team that's often dominated by HRM functions like talent acquisition, compensation, benefits, and HR business partners. As we heard from Holly Hutchins, Thomas Garavan, and Linda Periton. This structural positioning within organisations can generate challenges, not least by separating HRD from business leaders and strategy, with HRD finding itself often having to work through HRM. It has also led to HRM encroaching on traditional HRD spaces. At the same time, the closeness to HRM also offers opportunities for closer partnerships and collaborative work to address organizational issues in a more systemic and systematic way. We heard from Rajshi Ghosh and Kim Nyman about how HRD and HRM can partner on careers, integrating learning paths with job families, career paths and pay levels. And we heard from Marilyn Bird about how HRD can work with HRM on diversity, and from Jay Young Lee on HRD and HRM partnering on employee engagement, and from Julie Gedro on HRD and HRM working together to address marginalization and inequities arising from privilege. Those partnerships offer tremendous opportunities for HRD, especially if they happen while also recognizing HRD's potential to go beyond what HRM can do. As Holly Hutchins described in our conversation, HRD can bring a different approach to HRM based on HRD's different set of experiences, values, and tools. And so the key could well be finding ways of partnering with HRM that doesn't prevent HRD from also having its own unique role and impact within organizations. The second area of HRD partnerships that were surfaced in seasons 1 and 2 was that of HRD partnering with managers. In my conversation with Rajshi Ghosh, she described HRD as a shared responsibility with managers and with individuals. And the significance of the manager role in development was similarly stressed by others, including Victoria Marsik and Kim Nyman, who talked about the role of frontline and middle managers in developing and engaging employees. And by Kim MacDonald, who talked about manager support on career development and by Andrea Ellinger and Jenny Jones, who talked about HRD supporting managers who are coaching and mentoring employees. Another important role for managers in the HRD process is that of supporting the transfer of learning, and Wendy Rona and Fred Nafuko spoke about the importance of preparing managers for training transfer to ensure that those managers deeply support the transfer of learning into work. The third area of HRD partnerships is that of partnering with employees who are increasingly in a position to plan and manage their own training. As Fred Nafuko and Wendy Rona described, HRD can prepare employees for both learning and then transferring that learning, as well as can work with peers of those who are in learning to ensure that those peers, like managers, are supporting training transfer. Increasingly, HRD also partners with employees in the form of employee resource groups, and this was explored by Julie Gedro and Marilyn Bird. The final area of HRD partnerships is that of HRD internals partnering with externals. Toby Egan and Gary McLean both shared examples of HRD operating as an external resource contracted to work within an organization with examples of in-house HRD teams leveraging externals. At an extreme, that can look like the version described by Victoria Marsick and Karen Watkins, where organizations essentially outsource HRD functions to vendors. Most typically, though, just selected parts of HRD are outsourced, and so, as Jenny Jones described, HRD needs to determine whether it's right to use an internal versus an external resource. Of course, there are times when in-house teams don't have the expertise internally, and so contract with vendors to bring in that subject matter expertise. And two examples of that were shared by Liz Bennett in talking about buying in AI, VR, and AR expertise, and by Chaunda Scott, who talked about buying in expertise on marginalization and privilege. As Chaunda stressed, that process of buying in comes with challenges, including the challenge of carefully selecting the right external partner to work with. Similarly, Karen Watkins talked about how outsourcing can limit the building of internal capacity. And Toby Egan talked about the risks that come with buying non-customised, out-of-the-box solutions. If we take a look at it as a whole, HRD is increasingly having an impact through partnerships, whether by working with and through HRM, with managers and employees, and with third parties. And increasingly, HRD professionals need to develop the skills needed to select partners and to work with them in their different forms. And that transitions us nicely into the next section of the episode, which explores what I've learned about what this all means for the knowledge, skills, and qualities of HRD professionals. This section of the episode is brought to you thanks to the generous support of our sponsor stylus publishing stylus is proud to partner with the AAACE to bring you the 2020 edition of the handbook of adult and continuing education with over 80 contributors the handbook is designed to engage and inspire readers to seek new paths in uncertain and complex times ask questions and to help the HRD and adult education fields to flourish. Read a sample chapter of the book at www.styluspub.com. To start off this section on the knowledge, skills and qualities of HRD professionals, I'd like to play an extract from my conversation with Andrea Ellinger, which appeared in Season 2, Episode 10 on Coaching.
5: When I think about the knowledge that's required, uh, certainly with the intentions of coaching to be developmental and very growth oriented, then to me, an understanding of how adults learn, develop and change is really important. Adult development models and theories would also be core areas. Uh, certainly, a lot of the, the published literature on coaching more generally speak to you know, the importance of drawing on insights from the fields of psychology, sociology, because of the varied context that coaching occurs in. Certainly, communication studies is really important. Leadership and management is a core area, given that a lot of coaching is done to enhance leadership and management capacity and capability. And when I think about skills... You know, again, I think that, you know, what a good coach has to have are really critically important communication skills. They're just essential. The ability to actively listen, uh, also having really good questioning skills.
0: As we've already explored in this episode, the first two seasons of the Masterclass have highlighted a world of HRD that is broader and deeper than in the past finds itself partnering with more disciplines and stakeholders, and working on a much wider range of initiatives. In addition, HRD is better placed to be more strategic within organisations, and so more likely to have a seat at the table, and more likely to be in a lead role within work that it could once have struggled to even be a bit player in all of which has a significant impact on the work of HRD professionals and, as such, on the knowledge, skills and qualities of those who work in HRD. The Masterclass episode certainly didn't set out to list every aspect of what's needed to work in HRD, and so there's no reason to believe that the episodes contain an exhaustive list. However, as I re-listened to the episodes and noted the knowledge, skills and qualities implications for HRD professionals, it's striking just how long that non-exhaustive list became. It would be too time-consuming and tedious to listen to if I shared where every item of my list appeared in an episode, and so I'm going to share my list without those references. I'll start with knowledge, and we heard about HRD professionals needing a knowledge of theories, like systems thinking, Human Capital Theory, Adult Learning Theories, Human Relations, Critical Race Theory, and Transformative Learning Theory. We heard about them needing a knowledge of models, frameworks, tools, and measures, such as the Learning Transfer System Inventory, Bias and Unconscious Bias, Employee Engagement, Meaningful Work, Different Models for Coaching and for Building Cultures, Organization Readiness, and Working Across Cultures. We also heard about HRD professionals needing a knowledge of standards such as ethical standards for the profession, of laws including local and national laws affecting HRM and HRD, of credentials and certifications for the profession, and knowledge of HRD's relationship with other disciplines and areas of interest such as leadership, management, psychology, neurodiversity, gender studies, sociology, communication studies, and much more. To add to this significant body of knowledge is the need to stay on top of a constantly changing body of literature and best practices. In addition to all of the knowledge needed by modern HRD professionals, comes a lengthy list of skills. To share just a few, across the two seasons we heard about the need for HRD professionals to be good at diagnostics, facilitation, questioning, problem solving and solution generation, relationship building, data analysis, reflection and self-examination, needs analysis, stakeholder management, strategy development, program and project management, communications, and the ability to speak to different audiences about HRD. In addition to knowledge and skills, we also heard about what I would describe as a list of qualities in effective HRD professionals. Perhaps some of these are skills too. In that list are qualities like curiosity, openness, strategic thinking, willingness to pivot and to partner, having a coaching mindset, a willingness to be self-critical, a willingness to challenge the status quo or to lead and to prioritize. I like to separate these out from knowledge and skills because, to some extent, this list appears to be about mindset and that there's a difference between an HRD professional who knows how to do these and has the skills to do them, and an HRD professional who actually does it. And I suspect the difference between those is some of what truly separates out those HRD professionals who are successful from those who struggle. That simply knowing the theories and models and frameworks and standards isn't enough, and having the skills to apply them also isn't enough. Because in addition to those, HRD professionals need a mindset that's going to leverage the knowledge and skills in an approach that's curious, adaptable, challenging, helpful, leading, and more. As I move into the final section of the episode, let's pause a moment and see how far I've come. In brief having spoken to 49 HRD scholars from around the world and listened to those conversations multiple times, I'm sitting with the picture of an HRD world that has changed a lot over the last 40 years. It's broader and deeper than it ever has been, and HRD professionals are better positioned than ever before to play impactful strategic roles in organisations of different sizes and beyond that into communities and societies. And to have that impact, HRD professionals need to stay on top of an ever-expanding knowledge base with the skills needed to apply that knowledge in different settings and with a mindset that positions them for success. When I started in HRD in 1992, it all felt simpler than that. Perhaps it never was simpler, perhaps it's always been this messy, and it was easier in 1992 to just focus on a narrower world of HRD with a shorter list of less challenging demands. But I suspect that's not the case. I also suspect that things aren't going to return back to simplicity. The world appears to have a way of becoming increasingly complex, and even the technologies that are designed to simplify life typically end up making it messier. So if that's the case, the challenge to HRD professionals becomes clearer. Embrace the breadth and the depth of the profession. Understand the knowledge base and all that goes with it. Sharpen your skills and gain the experience. And most importantly, develop the mindset that will position you to use the knowledge and the skills within organizations. So those are the themes that surface for me as I listen back through the first two seasons of Human Resource Development Masterclass. As I look forward to a third season, I'll definitely carry those themes with me and see how they change as we explore different aspects of HRD. As with my wrap-up at the end of Season 1, I've found that I'll also be carrying with me a few extracts of conversations that I find myself returning to multiple times. These are the conversations that jump into my head when I'm least expecting it, that I've sat with and pondered, and as such i return back to them over and over again because there's something intriguing about what was said that can't be ignored. And I have five short examples from the second season that I want to play for you in the hope that hearing them again gives you a chance to pause like I've done and sit with these statements for a while. Up first, you'll hear Claritha Hughes from Season 2, Episode 2 on Ethics in HRD.
6: I saw employees using their mouths as pipettes in a lab when there were bulbs that you could order to replace that. And so just those minuscule things that were common inside of um, higher education learning institutions, they weren't afforded to regular everyday employees who were making their companies millions of dollars. And I actually had a VP ask me, did I care more about the employees than I cared about management? And at that point in my career, I was like, I didn't know there was two different sides. I thought it was all the employees working together to make the company better. I didn't realize it was a side of management versus employees, when I was asking for tools and resources for employees. And so I guess from that perspective, that type of treatment was what I saw more than some of the compliance issues versus just the common decency issues of treating employees like human beings versus inanimate objects.
0: Up next, you'll hear from Brad Shuck, from season two, episode four on employee engagement.
7: I could just tell story
0: after story after story
7: about people who have been in places of work, but yet never felt valued, never saw equity, never felt like they could raise their hand in a meeting. And man, what else would you expect from that particular context, but putting it into a new context, this transformation. And so for me, engagement isn't about expectation. It's about anticipation. It isn't about transaction like social exchange theory would suggest to us. It's about transformation. It's about I'm different and this is different as a result of this experience. And, and that's, that's what real engagement for me is all about. And that's why I'm passionate about this because I believe that people who live and work in places who experience high levels of engagement, they fundamentally live a different life.
0: Next, you'll hear from Joshua Collins from Season 2, Episode 5, on marginalization and privilege.
8: The biggest force which limits change is that some people don't want to promote change because effective change will require the acknowledgement of wrongdoing. We can't address marginalization and privilege until we allow the truth about people's experiences to surface no matter how uncomfortable it makes us. I also think another force is simply that more explicit and implicit bias than we usually want to acknowledge exists. I know white people who want to pretend that slavery in the United States was so long ago, but the reality is that there are Black people living right now whose grandparents were literally born into slavery. I know heterosexual people who want to argue that because Glee had a few stereotypical characters, gay rights are solved. So we cannot accept vantage points which are disconnected from reality. We really just can't. Bias exists, so what will your organization do about it?
0: Next, you'll hear from Wendy Rona from Season 2, Episode 6 on Training Transfer.
9: In fact, I'd like to start by sharing one of my favorite quotes that really shifted my work and my whole career path. In a book written by Rumler and Brace in 1995, uh, they they stated this quote, Send a changed person back to an unchanged system, and the system wins almost every time. Now, (laughs) Rumler and Brace, they weren't the first people to come up with that idea, But the way that was stated, it just left an indelible mark on me, and it actually launched me into a quest to learn so much more about that, Uh, and you'll feel that and how it impacted me in terms of what I want to talk about today. Because to me, that quote really sums up the biggest challenge we have. That is, even if the learning or training experience is expertly crafted and deeply impactful for the individual, we in L&D or HRD fundamentally send a changed person or at least one who has the potential to be changed back to what is quite likely an unchanged system.
0: Finally, you'll hear an extract from Susan Madsen from Season 2, Episode 7 on Leadership Development.
10: When I teach uh, leadership courses, I have... Uh, all my students grab a book, but I said, I always say research based, and they really have a tough time figuring out which ones are based on research and which ones are not. So just putting that out there. I think that's interesting. When you look at models, like what's most helpful, there's so many books and models that are thrown out there. But I really believe that that the models, the frameworks that are based on really good research and theory are the best. And those are the ones that, in my opinion, and I think research supports it, really are more timeless. Like, you know, they stick. And if you really follow these and not just, quote, trends of the day, that you can do deeper work and work that's more long-lasting, like I said, and meaningful
0: I hope that one or more of those five extracts proves to be helpful in your own reflection and in your own HRD journey. And with all those still rumbling around in your mind, I'd like to thank our episode sponsors, without whom this episode would not have been possible. I encourage you to check out Interpretive Simulations by visiting them at interpretive.com and also Stylus Publishing, publisher of The Handbook of Adult and Continuing Education 2020 and you can visit them at styluspub.com. Thank you for listening to this second season. It's been an honor to spend time with you, and I hope that we'll be together again for the third season. Until then, stay safe. This is Darren Short, signing off from the Human Resource Development Masterclass. Human Resource Development Masterclass is a publication of the Academy of Human Resource Development and a
2: production of allbypodcast.com.